Hello and welcome to Renews, the weekly show brought to you from the editorial team at Trusted Reviews. I'm your host, John Porter, and together with the site's gaming editor, Jake Tucker, hey. we're going to discuss the biggest technology news of the week. Jake, how are you? I am doing well. I have had a minor plumbing emergency this morning. Do we uh, mention that on the podcast? I yeah, think we should. Yeah, I think we should mention that. I like. I thought we were going to lead with the, with the toffee incident where we walk into the, the, the recording studio. Our video producer goes, would you like a toffee? I was like, of course. And he was like, no, you can't have a toffee. That's stupid, obviously. I was joking. So then out of spite, I tried to eat a toffee yeah, really, we really quickly. <laughs> which, as it turns out, not really quickly at all. Um, tell me about your plumbing emergency, Jake. Um, yeah, I spent a good long time holding a shower shower cable. You know what? I wasn't prepared for this story. <laughs> Don't know the technical terms. I'm not a plumber. My heart goes out to all plumbers. Um, I had to hold the plumbing cable about um, plumbing cable. <laughs> Above my head for like 45 minutes wow, so that okay. I didn't get soaked any more than I was already soaked until a maintenance man came to turn off our water. Yeah, he wasn't even able to fix it. He was just like, I'm coming back tomorrow. Just for now, I'm just going to turn all of the water off. Yeah, it's it's an Avengers situation. So you get part one of the fix now cool. and then part two tomorrow. Cool. Did he kind of like click as he walked out and then all the water turned off and... I don't know where I'm going with this. this I don't think this, this is... Let's just say yes check. and move on. Cool, fantastic. So we have a packed show for you today, guys. Um, obviously, it's IFA going on this week in Berlin. Uh, we got half the office out there, it seems. Uh, so we're going to run through some of the biggest news stories coming out of that show. And then, of course, Jake came back from Gamescom, which was taking place last week. So we're going to recap all of the news from that event that you might have missed and maybe dive a little bit deeper in some of the news stories that you've already seen. So we're going to kick off the show with Aoife. Uh Jake, how many Ks do you think is too many Ks for a TV? I mean, I, I just got my first 4K monitor, so I would okay. like to think that even 5Ks would be too many Ks. <laughs> yeah, you're, kind of, you're at the point where you're like, 4K, 4K seems fine. And to be honest, I would agree with you. However, LG and Samsung have different ideas. Both of them have unveiled 8K TVs of some form at Aoife. So LG's is a little bit more concepty, but it's claiming it's the world's first 8K OLED, it's 88 inches, it's a massive, massive TV. Uh, they showed it off earlier this year at uh, CES, but now they're showing it off again, and they still don't have a release date or price or anything, but apparently that will come next year. And of course, Samsung's getting in on the action as well with an 8K TV of its own, uh, which is actually a lot closer to release. That's coming out next month, I think. Uh, but I don't think they're talking uh, exact price specifics just yet, but uh, at least with that one, you won't have to get a TV that's like 88 inches. I think the smallest one is 65 inches. I mean, I would like an 88-inch TV. But well, where, where would I put it? Well, exactly. I, I would... I would like a house big enough to warrant an 88-inch TV, and then we can talk about 88-inch 88 88-inch TVs. Um, I don't know, but like, are you are you satisfied with 4K? Do you, do you reckon we need to move to 8K now? You know, I I always get in trouble because once upon a time I was going out with a girl back at school, and <laughs> could go all the way back here. Story time with you because it's important. <laughs> um, and I remember sitting down in the living room, and her dad had just got this HD TV and Sky HD, and he was like, "Look how amazing it is!" And I kind of squinted it a bit, looked a bit more, and was like, eh, "I don't really see a difference." And now looking at standard definition TV, ooh. <clears throat> now looking at standard definition TV really actually hurts my eyes. Yeah. So I feel like right now I'm looking at 4K, like, "Oh, I don't see a difference," but given a couple of years, I will start to see anything that isn't 4K is inferior. Yeah. And I think 8K is probably the same, but I don't think consumers are ready to drop cash yet. Because 4K yeah. was an expensive revolution, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's like 4K has has been expensive for just everyone involved. You know, like if you're if you're producing video content, uh, that machine that's been happily processing HD like footage for a while now just isn't going to be able to handle 4K at the same sorts of speeds. So, uh, and then 8K is like a similar jump. So whereas like 4K is uh, four full HD TVs, or the equivalent at least in terms of resolution, play side by side. 8K is four 4K TVs. So it's a massive exponential shift, um, and it's going to be a, a huge, a huge shift for the industry. So there's not really that much 8K content around. There have been a couple of concepty things. I think a while back there were some kind of classic movies that were uh, remastered in 8, in 8K. But for the time being, if you're gonna, if you're buying the Samsung TV, for example. The big thing is it's going to upscale 4K to 8K, apparently. Um, I have I have big thoughts on on uh, on, on 4K and 8K. Um, honestly, I think when people look at a 4K TV and they say, "Wow, that's a nice looking TV." I don't think they're seeing the 4K's worth of pixels. I think they're seeing the wider color gamut. I think they're seeing HDR. Um, and OLED is usually part of a 4K TV at this point as well, right? Exactly. So. I think that people buy a new TV when they see a new resolution because I think people understand numbers that are bigger. But I think something like wide color gamma uh, is a very difficult technology to describe to people. It's a difficult technology to put on the side of a bus. So you pin it to a bigger resolution, people buy the TV, oh, it looks better. Yeah, exactly. And they go, oh, I couldn't live without my 4K TV. But really, they're saying, I couldn't live without my HDR TV or I couldn't live without my wide color gamut TV. And my theory is, at least, that 8K will kind of go the same way, that there will be new technologies that TV manufacturers will want to get out there. You know, there are new... um, New color gamuts, which is sounds so boring, but it does make a big difference. So you've got a, a new one called uh, it's either Rec 2020 or BT 2020, and it's basically a color gamut that's wide enough to encompass all of the colors that the human eye can see, um, which is very cool. It will be impossible to market. I imagine at some point that will be part of the 8K spec, and so people will go, "Oh, I definitely need an 8K TV." Does that make sense? Yeah. So if you're listening to this at home. Chances are you're not going to buy an 8K TV, and that's a- okay anytime soon, and that's fine because 4K TVs haven't even like reached their potential yet. To be honest, uh, you said you've bought a 4K monitor. Have you got a 4K TV as well? Um, yes, so I've got a 4K monitor without HDR, and exactly <laughs> right. what you're saying is it's not that impressive, but it does take a lot more a lot more grunt to push mm. the pixels around. Uh, 4K TV, however, is very nice. Yes, yeah, I. I bought a 4K TV last year, I think, so I'm not. I'm not looking to buy a new a new TV anytime soon, unless something happens. Look at color gamut. I just I love want, those color gamut. I love a love a color gamut. I just I really want an OLED, but you can't get an OLED smaller than 55 inches. So it's basically when I get a bigger flat at some point, then maybe I'll be able to... You leave London, that's the... Yeah, Yeah, exactly. When I finally get around to leaving London, I will be able to get the TV of my dreams. What Um, else have we got on the slate? So, at IFA, uh, we've also got the Bang & Olufsen Biosound Edge. Have you seen this? Is this the big circle speaker? Yes. Have you seen how you control it? Um, I, I have heard that you turn it. Um, but yeah. I haven't actually seen it. It's it's like a giant. If you've used a Google Nest, you know the smart thermostat. Yeah. 
from what I can see, it looks very similar to that, where you just wheel this massive speaker around. And if you've not got it in the stand, it will just roll along your floor like a giant cheese wheel. <laughs> My giant cheese wheel is a very John Porter. I'd have gone for yo-yo, maybe a baby bell. No, no, giant cheese wheel. <laughs> um, my big concern with uh, with a speaker that you turn to alter the volume is yep. everyone's been at a house party where the music's been a bit too loud, yep. a bit drunk. Neighbour comes over and says, hey, could you just turn down the noise? And you go, yeah, sure. So you go and you take hold of your big cheese wheel speaker. <laughs> you turn it the wrong way a little bit by accident. You panic. You spin it the other way. It rolls loose through the flat. <laughs> like, <it just laughs> suddenly other party members get involved <laughs> a small game of football develops and it becomes a team game between team low volume and team high volume who want to get the massive speaker to the other end of the room exactly and this is not a cheap spe- this is not a speaker you want to roll through a house party it's no, like several it's, grand this is I mean Bang and Olufsen they do not do cheap speakers uh, and every single one of them I look at and I go ah oh, if I had a living room kind of designed around the idea of this speaker being in it then at some point if i had enough money but they're all they're such design statement pieces you know they're, they're not like oh put this on a shelf and it'll it'll blend into the background <laughs> yeah. this is a no you want to put this speaker front and center in your living room um so they look cool they're very expensive again if you if you're not interested in buying one, then that's okay. Are you looking at a picture of one right now? Uh, I'm not looking at. I mean, I could be looking at a picture of one right now. Uh, I always come into these things with a laptop, thinking that you'll do the same, and then you kind of sit there and you've just got it all in your head, and you just you, you look far more relaxed than me. You know what it is? I don't. I, I don't take laptops into meetings as well. Oh, um, really? I, I like a notebook because writing things down is important. It's just I can't write down the speaker I've never seen to, to remember it. <laughs> just do do like a small sketch. I don't see what the issue is. Um, and then we've also got uh, another another uh, announcement that is probably not something that most people listening to this podcast are going to buy, but for an entirely different reason, because Intel's new CPUs. It turns out it wasn't ninth gen after all. It was more laptop processors. You've got Whiskey Lake and Amber Lake. Uh, Jake, should we care? I mean, I don't. I don't care. Is that <laughs> is that like a good? Am I the modern man? I think you. I think you might have your finger on the pulse. <laughs> of Britain in 2018. <laughs> like, am I the barometer of whether we care or not? I, I would say that... Um, so it's... it's Without looking at the press release, I'm going to assume it is <laughs> slimmer, more power-efficient, and will fit better in form-factor designs, right? Uh, that is uh, two out of three. Uh, the third part is that they have much faster Wi-Fi. You know uh, what? Faster Wi-Fi actually is quite good. Yeah, it's like, so <laughs> it makes sense. Built into laptops, power-efficient, and they got gigabit Wi-Fi built in, uh, which is definitely cool. I guess everyone was just going in hoping that we'd see ninth-gen CPUs and we'd see a response to AMD's stuff where Intel was really pulling its socks up and making something happen. Uh, but instead, we've got stuff that you will almost certainly your next laptop at some point will have one of these chips in it um, but you will probably not buy the laptop based on the it having a whiskey lake or amber lake cpu in it. so for so for everyone kind of because you're not going to buy these they're mobile chips yeah. but for everyone that's kind of looking forward to buying a new laptop whoa okay do you, do you want to try that one again jake <laughs> don't know what's got into me today um so for everyone that's going to be buying their new laptops Ultrabooks for the next generation are going to have faster Wi-Fi, better power consumption. Yeah, basically. I think it's 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 offering kind of similar sorts of improvements that you have, you see in laptops year after year. Like that, that's exciting in a small way. Like I'm not excited, but the performance increase you see is going to be yeah. incremental and interesting. I think so, and I think um, 
Yeah, like Intel's being squeezed on both sides. On the one hand, you've got AMD with the really, really high-end workstation chips. And then on the on the super low end, you've got Qualcomm kind of who make uh, the Snapdragon CPUs that you normally sell up CPUs, systems on a chip that you normally see in mobile phones. Um, and they're kind of getting into the laptop space. So they're doing those super, super low-powered chips because these things are obviously made to be powered by smartphone batteries. So they're really power efficient. So they're kind of squeezing Intel from the bottom. Um, so... It's an interesting-ish announcement, but if you're kind of there waiting for the next Blockbuster CPU to power your gaming rig, probably not. Not probably not for you. Um, final little news story before we get into Gamescom stuff: uh, Nintendo and its indie announcements. Jake, um, yeah. what what are, what are the what are the top three? Right. So I mean, the kind of headline is every game that you like is on Switch now. That Ooh. was that was kind of okay. Uh, Geometry Wars Retro Evolved Two. No. Okay. But well, Bastion. Oh, I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, so every game that you like that Nintendo announced during that presentation is on Switch now. <laughs> um, so, FTL follow up into the breach. Uh, that's cool. on Switch now. It's fantastic. I've been playing it nonstop for the last two days. Uh, uh, that's a kind of uh, what was genre is is that one? Um, it's a turn based tactics game. You okay. play three mechs. You have to batter some kaiju that are coming out of the ground. Ooh. But the interesting thing is that your mech's health is not your health. Okay. Um, your health is the city because the power uh, grid powers the mechs and every building that gets taken down, the power grid gets weaker and weaker. So you actually have to like protect the city and stop the rampaging. But sometimes if you knock one of the big bugs into a city block, they take some damage. So sometimes you're like, sorry, 500 civilians. Yeah. Got to put a bug head in here. Um, so that's really exciting. That's yeah. playable now. They that was their kind of one last thing. Buy this right now. Yeah. Um, is that out on other on other platforms at the moment? Yeah, as well? it's out on the PC. Okay. Um, I'm hoping this means console because the UI for it actually is really good. It's quite a dense strategy game, but it works really nicely on the Switch. Okay. So, so could you see yourself sitting down like in front of a PS4 and playing this game, or do you think it's now that you've played it on Switch, do you think it's more of a mobile game for you? I think now that I've bought it on Switch, I'm going to play it on Switch. Yeah. But I think if I hadn't. I would be very into playing on my PS4. Okay. It's it's it, I can see it as kind of a small, cheap, like spend an afternoon with this. Mm. Um, then we've also got yeah, Bastion and Transistor. Um, nice. That hints at maybe Pyre coming in the future, which is the cool. other Supermatter, um, and that that would be amazing as well, just to have that f- full trilogy. Bastion yeah. is a great game to play on the move. Um, also looking at Hyperlight Drifter. Nice. Um, so yeah, I mean it's been such a strong like the Nintendo Indies wasn't really showing off too many games except Untitled Goose Game <laughs> which is coming to Switch um, which led to me tweeting all caps Goose Game on Switch <laughs> got free retweets just in is case it, you were so, so is this a like Untitled like its name is Untitled or it just doesn't have a title yet because um, they, they're struggling to describe just how much of an asshole this goose is at some point I kind of feel like if like if you're in the Nintendo showcase saying you're coming to Switch next year yeah under the, like, hey, the Untitled Goose Game is coming to Switch next year. Then your name is now Untitled Goose Game. I I'm think sorry. So. Yeah. Like, if they change the name, I will be. I will make a change to org petition. <laughs> um, it's really like previous Nintendo consoles. It doesn't ever. It, I. I don't. I can't think of really any console having had such a similar in, uh, indie push at all. Um, they've kind of had the eShop in the past. Um, but the Switch really seems to be like Nintendo knows it's onto a good thing and it, it's courting developers in a big way. Um, 
I think it's because indie games perform so well on Switch. Like mm. so many people, so like Minute, for example, came to Switch, and that was solely because everyone, upon seeing Minute on the PC, was like, "Hey, I'd really love to play this on Switch. Yeah. It's a game that I could play on the move." Into the Breach is like a perfect bite-sized strategy game. Like battles take like uh, like two, three minutes a time, mm. and that's perfect for the Switch because it, that's that's two stops on the tube. That's yeah. like a very brief car ride. That's sitting on the toilet if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think it was summed up best by our, uh, by Rich Easton, our commercials editor, who said, oh, this actually really works for me because I will never sit at my PC and play a strategy game, mm. but I do have a lot of downtime to kill moving from place to place, yeah. and that's that's a perfect, perfect setup for it, right? Yeah. Um, I think we're seeing... I think we're seeing all across the board, all genres, people are giving Switch a go with indie titles, and they're really performing. Mm. Um, I was speaking to guys at NIS America... Um, mm late last year when I was still back at MCV and they said that the Switch for them is like a perfect platform. Oh wow, okay. Because Nintendo are, Nintendo are buying and they're supporting people um, and and the audience are keen to buy these Switch games. Like, we had a whole year of Nintendo banging out an amazing first party exclusive yes. once yeah. a month but that's starting to slow down now because they can't remaster any more Wii U games. <laughs> and so now it's time for this this kind of energised fan base that are ready to spend money are now looking for what to buy and these are games that are already good that have already reviewed well like Into the Breach was a uh, we gave it five stars mm-hmm. and the Switch version is just as good so you can go into onto the eShop for a game that's just released and just buy a game that you know will be good and that's that's amazing no console yeah. has ever really done that before not to make everything about me but uh, <laughs> I'm about to make this one all about me so I uh, I was lucky enough to have a Switch when it first came out um it was, an, it was an office one, though, so when I left my previous job, I had to give that one back. So I've played the big Switch exclusives, uh, and now I'm in this position where I don't have a Switch, but I'm looking at all these indies and going, oh, I would like, to, would like to have a portable version of Into the Breach. But no one game is big enough to justify that console purchase for me. Um, so it's... it's Smash it's, Brothers? Oh, maybe Smash Brothers. I've never been a massive Smash Bros guy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. Do you want to? Do you want to? Okay, yeah. cool. We'll just do the rest of the podcast solo. That's that's cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just hang around just for education purposes. Uh, yeah, so you're looking for the one game, right? Yeah, I, I need the one big thing. I think from what's been announced so far, Bayonetta three is what comes closest. Um, the thought of playing replaying Bayonetta one and two does fill me with a certain amount of joy. I think Bayonetta one is the only game I've got a full a thousand points for on Xbox three hundred and sixty. Uh, so I absolutely love that game. Um, and then never really played Bayonetta 2 because Wii U. Um, so Bayonetta 3, if I could get that, then then just buy the other two in the trilogy. That would probably do it for me. Um, but yeah, there's so many great indie games. And I'm kind of doing the calculation in my head where I'm working out how many small indie games warrants a, con- a console purchase, which so is I'm- a harder calculation to do than one big blockbuster. So I can solve your problem with metaphor. Go on. <laughs> um, All right. <laughs> so when you go to a really amazing steak restaurant, what do you want to order? Uh, steak. Yeah, cool. And and so you have your steak, and that, that for me is like the PS4. You get God yeah. of War, you get something like that. That, that is your steak. You buy... You buy into your steak restaurant. Yeah, mm-hmm. allegory's broken. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you buy into your steak restaurant, you get your God of War themed yep. steak, you play it, boy, it's good. Um, <laughs> boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, Xbox has got kind of less of those, but that's the similar sort of thing. Okay. Um, with the Switch, it's more like when you go to an Oriental buffet or you can eat, what, mm-hmm. what do you get there? Is it everything that looks good? That's the Switch. Okay. It's, there isn't... There isn't 
one £11 game that is worth buying the console for. But there are 50 £11 games that I would recommend you 100% play, and I think the Switch is the best way to play them. And that, for me, is the Switch's strength. Okay, I'm sold. Right, also, well, you go on press trips, and the Switch is the best possible journalist tool. Yeah, yeah. If only I didn't spend £400 on a mattress yesterday. <laughs> um, so, but we're going to move on. So that, that was that was Nintendo's Indies. We've got a full write-up on the site, right, Jake? Um, no, but soon. <laughs> <laughs> cool. We're playing them all. That's the problem. Oh, yeah, that that, that makes a certain amount of sense. Um, but, of course, Gamescom was last week. La- last week? Uh, last week. You were out there with our gaming writer, Jordan. Um, so what was your... What was your Game of the show. Let's start. Let's start with the top stuff and then work our way down. Cool. So I, I really enjoyed Mutant Year Zero, which was. Okay. You know what? Actually, I played the two games that I enjoyed the most were turn-based tactics games based on tabletop RPG games. Jake. So, <laughs> I've got a I've got a brand. Our uh, secret producer Phil is running around the room excitedly. Oh, do you mean Greg? <laughs> <laughs> Greg Blizzard. Callback. <laughs> um. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about both of them, and I'm going to talk about what were some of the wider games of the show, because actually Jordan seemed to have really lucked out and played a lot of amazing games while Mm -hmm. I was adventuring in tabletop land. Um, So first I played Mutant Year Zero. Nice. Um, Mutant Year Zero is a game, you are mutants, so you can play as a duck called Ducks, who is a sniper and has moth wings, and he can fly into the air using his moth wings, and he can snipe people. I, there's so much to unpack there, I'm not even going to start. Yeah, you can't. Like, <laughs> I'm just going in because there's no way to delicately... It's basically a narrative turn-based tactics game. Okay. As you kind of push through, you adventure, you unlock mutations. So mm-hmm. you also play as like a hog. Um, I guess pig. I don't know why I said hog. Hogman. <laughs> there we go. Like a hogman. Oh, hogman, okay. And he can uh, hog rush people, and that <laughs> knocks them to the floor. And then you can use a woman whose name I can't remember because she's not named after a memorable animal. She's just... It's a woman. Just, yeah. um, but she can use tree powers to uh, grab people and hold them in place. Okay. With, like, vines. And it's just it's just quite interesting to see the way they're going to take it. Like, mm. I only played with three characters, but the combat was quite tense and exciting. Um, it feels a bit like I always wanted the Wasteland games to play, for example. Okay. Um, and I think, I think it's going to be really good. Like, the role-playing game was really popular in Sweden in, like, the 80s, and it's just a bit bonkers. And so I'm excited to see that sort of thing get adapted. So what's the structure? Is this uh, is this a party where you kind of, like, swap characters in and out? Or yes. do you play as one of these characters? It's a party, and you can switch in and out of those characters whenever you're not in combat. Okay. Um, and but then when in combat, you play as just one of them? You play as three. Three of them. Oh, okay. So you can... But so, yes. classic... Yeah, it's turn-based. Like, fairly classic turn-based. It's actually, we haven't really seen narrative turn-based games in a really long time. Mm-hmm. And there's this, and there's also At Chunkafulu, which was the other thing that I played. Okay. And that's based on At Chunkafulu, the tabletop game. Um, oh, yes, I know it well. I that's mean, a lie. I've never heard of that literally before this moment. <laughs> well, I've got a copy right here. <laughs> um, it's it's actually, it's, it's quite a pulpy kind of like, the Nazis are doing evil experiments. Okay. Um, there's this thing called, like, the Black Sun, and they're like, a core group of Nazis who are like, man, Cthulhu, he could help us win a war. Is that, are we talking 1940s Nazis yeah, or World alternative war II. history, 1950s, like, the Nazis won the war? World War Two is raging and okay. the Black Sun, I mean, it's kind of, it's interesting because there's, as I was told by the producer of the game and he mm. showed it to me, there were two types of Nazis. 
That was um, both bad. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank just, you. Right, cool. Like, <laughs> um, he also said to me, hey, you can't play as the Nazis in our game because screw that, we don't care. If you want to play as Nazis, go play a different game. So, you know, he cool. set his stall out here in the no Nazis camp, which is good. Yeah. It's nice um, to see people take a stand. Yeah, yeah. Um, so both of these Nazis are bad, but there are Nazis who are like, hey, we sure want to win this war and mm-hmm. Cthulhu could help us. And then there are Nazis who are like, we want to summon eldritch beasts and using the inherent power structure of the Nazis can help us to do that. I... So- Okay, but both they, need killing. Yeah, like yeah, in this game. Not, I'm not suggesting you go and. You know what? Yes, it's fine. <laughs> I'm not even going to touch it. <laughs> However, um, it's really exciting because so you're you're fighting Nazis. That's cool. Yep. You, World War Two games are a bit thinner on the ground these days, mm-hmm. and you're also fighting these kind of eldritch beasts. But mm-hmm. the really exciting thing about it is there's this thing called the darkness, mm-hmm. uh, the band, as it turns out. Okay, um, it's a surprise return for them. <laughs> yes. But so you you kind of move into position and your characters have like a cone of light that they project and enemies will kind of, and when enemies are lit up, it's easier to see what they're doing. You can see if they're overwatching or reloading or what actions they're taking and it's easier for you to hit them. And enemies know this, so they will try and move back into, they will scurry back into the darkness. Okay. And that kind of creates a really dynamic pace because you just keep chasing them to take up more aggressive positions Mm. so that you can highlight them so that your whole team can shoot them. Okay. it's interesting because they're both like both of these are narrative turn-based uh, strategy games, mm-hmm. um, so they're both kind of both kind of set on one specific genre, but they both mm-hmm. handle it in totally different ways. Okay, um, and even better, they're both out by the end of the year. So for strategy Ooh. fans, it's going to be like a really satisfying end of year for you. Yeah, you can play into the breach until someone until one of those <laughs> launches. <laughs> uh, what platforms are both on? Um, so they are both launching on PC at least. Okay. Um, I believe that console is planned for both of them. Um, and Switch is also in the offing for Cthulhu as well. It hasn't been announced for Mutant Year Zero mm-hmm. yet, but Mutant Year Zero is a little... It, it has a bit more fidelity to it. So it could be that they're just working out how that will run on Switch. Right, okay. okay. Um, I also played some kind of standard stuff. Like I played Pez, which obviously is out now. Mm-hmm. But I played that at Gamescom. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max Parker did a great review of it on the site you can read right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I also played Forza Horizon. Um, on, on the Pez thing, do you think it is? does it have any hope against FIFA? Or is it? Is it going to be another one for, if you're already a Pez guy, it's another decent Pez game? The thing with Pez, um, I mean, I'd recommend going to Max's review for this. Um, mm-hmm. But basically, the thing with Pez is that on the pitch, Pez is the best football game. Oh, okay. But it never does anything exciting to talk about. It just makes good football games mm-hmm. all the time. But FIFA is a better game. Right. FIFA has the licenses. FIFA has uh, like all of the stuff around it is really nice and polished. It has a narrative story mode. Mm. Pez has good football, but also they've lost the UEFA license now as well. Mm. Right? So there are even less licensed teams than you may be used to. Yeah. And there are ways that you can kind of take care of these licenses. Okay. <laughs> And it's not it's not as dodgy as I make it sound. Yeah. You can download like a pack of data and you can load it in, which okay. is not officially supported because yeah. I don't have the licenses. But it's it's around it's if you know what to Google. Yeah, um, I never have because I don't mind. Um, okay. I'm used to kind of like. So you quite you quite like playing as West London Blue. It's uh, East London, I believe, is uh, oh. is my my team or <laughs> London Hammers occasionally. London Hammers. <laughs> it's West Ham. By any yeah. other name. <laughs> um, I, the problem with Pez is, yeah, it's good. It's a real good football game, but it's never going to beat FIFA. And that's a shame. I, I see it in the sales every year. As yeah. well. like, like Pez is not, a well, uh, is not a game that sells a lot of copies. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame because it deserves it. But 
like the the football game kind of derby as it were is not about what is fair mm. FIFA makes the biggest noise it's the most bombastic so everyone plays it yeah that, that's a that's a shame maybe maybe over time Pez can maybe claw claw back some sort I've been of been saying this for a decade okay well <laughs> okay uh, anyway sorry I cut you off before you are moving moving yes. on past Pez um, Forza Horizon oh um, that's Playground Games newest race yes up. Um, now that's set, set in England, which is nice. Mm. I oh, did... like when I when we saw the uh, debut trailer when we were out in LA, like both me and Brett, uh, the the uh, the previous gaming editor, just old sat me. there and, and got re- old you exactly. <laughs> uh, sat there and just got really homesick because it was just lovely British countryside. We were sitting there going, oh, it "Would be it would be lovely to to be at home right now." I watched that trailer from the same room as you guys, uh, um, <laughs> and just was like, "Oh, it looks really nice when that wall got destroyed by Land Rover." Like for oh, me, yeah. that's that's Britain, right? Dry stone wall. Okay. Dry stone walling is a very difficult thing to do. It's a very specialised way of building countryside walls. Don't tell me to move on. (laughs) (laughs) And it takes many, many years to learn how to do it. So for a car just to drive through a dry stone wall, I think is... is, Radical. Is... Amazing. Good. Outrageous. (sighs) <laughs> how very dare they uh, so that so it's fun you race through all four seasons in the game so cool. you get a bit of taste of everything you taste some of the different things like as a demo race it was amazing does it more or less handle like Forza Horizon 3 um, yeah pretty much okay racing games football games they're all iterative yeah. um, I should move on to things that Jordan loved um, <laughs> because Jordan did all the good stuff nice um, so Sekiro Shadows Die Twice that's the that's probably our game of the show. Okay. We kind of agreed. I didn't play it, but it's basically, it's from software's newest thing. Um, it's a little bit of a mix between, say, Dark Souls. Um, I guess Blood, Bloodborne is a closer okay. touchstone, but mixed with Tenchu, which is a game they used to make. Ooh, so it apparently okay. was going to be a Tenchu game, mm. but then they were like, hey, there's giant snakes and there's acrobatic ninjas <laughs> flying around the place, kicking crap out of people. Gotcha. Let's just make this its own thing. And I think it's going to be big. Uh, Activision are behind it publishing, so there's a lot of... There's a juggernaut behind this. Tenchu did a lot of stealth, right? Yeah, none of that here. So, okay, so it's it's Tenchu-esque, but not so much with the stealth thing, more of the action from the recent... from software games, right? Yeah, um, so... I mean, it should be cool, you know, like, being a cool action fighting ninja is something I've not done since uh, Ninja Gaiden, Mm -hmm. and I'm ready to give it another go. And from software, I've got real real form in this area and for and it plays more like bloodborne so for people who don't have a ps4 the fact that it's going to come multi-platform is fantastic yes that sounds that sounds like very very good news um and sorry and then what else did jordan play um resident evil 2's remaster Ooh, i yeah. know it's weird to kind of look back at a game that released 10 12 years ago <laughs> but you know still good it i mean everything i've seen about that game just makes it look amazing it looks amazing yeah um and they seem to have a really clear idea of what they want to do um and there's also rumblings that they might move on to resident evil nemesis next Ooh. and that like and just the idea of having these are incredible horror games but yeah. they have aged terribly because your characters have to move like trucks because yeah. of the way playstations work right you had to turn them left and right before you move mm. i really like the idea that these will exist and they will have good good controls and up to date so that you can dip in and revisit them because there's nothing else like them anymore is is there are there many people out there really hankering for a resi 3 remake or is that the kind of unloved child in the resident evil franchise it's it's a part of the arc 
Yeah. You know, like, no one likes the Ewoks in Star Wars. Uh, this is the hill I'll die on. But they're part of it, so yeah. you can't take them out. This is Nemesis. I don't think Resident Evil 3 Nemesis does anything that Resident Evil 1 and 2 don't do. But you get to see more Jill. You get to see the Nemesis, who just shows up repeatedly. Cool. Like as, as 3, I think they're good. And then once you've played those, you can go back and play 4, which has been off-remastered and is very good. And yeah. I mean, the, the full remaster I'm, I'm waiting for is, have you seen those guys making the uh, the HD uh, mod for the PC version? No. It's absolutely incredible. I highly recommend you you, you look them out. Um, but they've basically, they've gone through the entire game and they've just, uh, they've remastered every single texture in the game. So everything just looks incredible. In a lot of cases, they've found the original architecture that the original development team were basing their designs off. So they've used new high-res photography of that same architecture to rebuild the world. It looks absolutely incredible. And then they've kind of pulled this game apart in so many different ways. They've redone the lighting in certain aspects. And it's, it's all just a mod of the PC version. I think it's the most recent PC version. And they started because I think that HD re-release kind of left some people feeling a bit cold. So they said, you know what? We're going to give you guys the HD re-release that Capcom should have done. I do wonder if you've just got them a cease and desist by bringing it up on the podcast, though. I, it's always my worry with mods that I yeah, mentioned. Yeah, no, they've been around for long enough that I think I think they're okay. And I mean, this is firmly mod territory. They're not. They're not. They're not. They're not doing anything on, like outside of what mods are generally accepted. Just pretty architecture. Yeah, exactly. Just very pretty architecture. Um, but. I mean, I kind of want to end the show uh, to, to talk about Cyberpunk a little bit more. We've kind of yes. talked about it on the show before. Um, and so at Gamescom itself, they pretty much showed off the same behind closed doors demonstration that they showed off at E3. Um, I, I get the impression it was a little bit a little bit improved, a little bit different. Um, but then the big thing was they finally actually released this footage to the public. Yes, in a... Which was different to what I'd seen. Oh, really? The footage okay. that they released is different to the footage I'd seen. I mean, it's still very much the same scenario. Mm -hmm. But so, like, I was playing as... Well, I wasn't playing as anyone. Um, <laughs> the hands-on demo was us as a female character. Okay. We ran around with a katana. Oh, wow, sort of okay. Character creation. Like, it was... That's very different to what I saw at E3, then. Um, yeah, I mean, what I gather is that the two demos were the same gameplay, but played in different ways. Which hopefully has a lot of good things to say about how the eventual game will come out in terms of, like, how many different options you have for going through... Uh, individual missions. It just it must be a difficult game to show off when every person goes in and sees it differently and then it just assumes that's the default way you play it and you talk to someone else and they go, no, no, they played it completely differently for us. And you, you have to talk to someone else to find that out. I mean, maybe that's what they wanted to do. Um, yeah, get that word of mouth thing going on. It's just really unfortunate because obviously it's all been marred by... It's all kind of become marred and a bit of a politics discussion, right? Like, yes. I... I think Cyberpunk looks like an exciting game. Um, I don't buy into the hype of everyone saying, oh, it's going to be the most amazing thing ever. Mm. But I do think that what I saw is going to have to be next-gen. Like, I do yeah. think it'll be a launch title for the PS5 or the Xbox 2, or they can't call it an Xbox 2, please. No, don't. no. Um, so people thought they were going to call the next one the Xbox 720. Yeah. You know, they'll, have a, they'll have an entirely new naming convention next time around. Xbox pure. <laughs> um... <laughs> Like, I, I think it'll be a next-gen title. It's just the fidelity and what's going on in yeah. that live demo. If they want to maintain that across an entire game and they want things... Like, the amount of people they have moving around, mm. the amount of, like, particles flying around, I just don't think they'll get the best out of it unless it is a launch title for the next console. And they haven't said really at all when they're expecting the release date to come. No, I mean, it's it's very much a when-it's-done yeah. situation. And that's nice, Um because I don't mind. Like, I've kind of got to the point where there are good games every single month. I'm happy to wait for this one to do it right. 
Um, but they are getting a lot of very reasonable criticism for the way that they're talking about gender and things like that in the uh, game. Okay. And I, I just hope that's the thing they tackle. I mean, we're you know as two white guys, I don't on a tech podcast. I don't mm. really think it's the correct platform for that. But I hope that they listen to some of the voices that are rightfully criticising it and maybe take some action on that. Yeah, they've they've got on this criticism early enough that hopefully they're not going to be blindsided it when sorry blindsided by it when reviews eventually come out. Uh, it's it's got at least a year more of development left. At least, at least. So um, hopefully there'll be a kind of a reasonable response to to all of this sort of stuff. Reasonable responses in gaming, eh? We can hope. <laughs> the dream. <laughs> but that is, on that note, that is all we've got time for on this week's episode of Renews. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, do not forget to give us a ratings on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast if you are so inclined. And we welcome both positive and negative feedback. So if you've got any comments or suggestions, then do let us know. So thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you again next week. Thanks a lot, guys.